Thanks for joining me once again on the podcast. My guest this week, super inspired operators from their corporate base in Louisville, Kentucky. They're growing a brand, a super powerful brand of breakfast and lunch places called Biscuit Belly. Now, it's all about systems, and we're going to talk all about marketing, specifically the branding. It's all about social media and how to get the most of your customers doing the marketing for you and building your brand. It's amazing. We're going to talk all about critical financial controls and maximizing margins while delivering true value to your guests. We talk about technology. We talk about leadership and company culture and the labor challenges and how they are sidestepping that and surrounding themselves with great people and hiring the right people. This episode has it all. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you so much to our sponsors this week for supporting us. And if you're interested in systems and really dialing your operation, look at the Restaurant Academy at restaurantrockstars.com. It's a series of systems that dials in your critical finances. It teaches your team to serve and sell and deliver true hospitality. It's all about powerful marketing and brand building that drives ROI and it's trackable as well as efficiencies across your organization. Best of all, you can give access to any of this content to your team members so that they can help build your business. Again, it's the Restaurant Academy at restaurantrockstars.com. Now, on with the episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, the busiest time of the year is coming. Is your staff ready for the holiday rush? Well, this year, give your team the gift of Pop Menu AI Answering, a simple solution for phones ringing off the hook. AI Answering handles calls 24-7, 365 days a year, so your staff can focus on in-person guests. Customize your greetings and responses, answer common questions, promote specials and events, and send follow-up links to ordering and reservations. AI Answering handles it all while escalating more complex conversations back to your team. Now, never miss another tasty revenue opportunity. PopMenu is the marketing technology platform designed to make growing your restaurant easy. Discover more AI restaurant tools that turn your to-do list into an already done list. Request a demo today and my listeners for a limited time will get $100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go now to popmenu.com slash rockstars. Again, get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Listen, when I ran restaurants, I had my core values, the things most important to how I ran my restaurants, monitoring daily operations, training my team for consistently great guest experiences, food safety, quality assurance, and preventative maintenance. All this took a system. Well, here's what Xenia can do. Xenia gives you a modern app, really an operational base camp that scales standard operating procedures, trains your team, controls operations, and even manages food safety. Now, I really like their sensors that continuously monitor temperature for fridges and freezers so you can proactively prevent inventory losses. Now, how valuable is that? Now, whether managing a single or multiple locations, the Xenia app helps you ensure consistency, compliance, and accountability across your operation. You can see full detail in real time from anywhere in your Xenia dashboard with automated reports right to your inbox. Now, again, this was vital in my restaurants. 
Xenia is offering my listeners white glove service with free onboarding and implementation so you can jump straight into immediate usage and value. Xenia starts at just $69 per month per location. So get my special deal at www.xenia.team slash rockstars. Xenia is spelled X-E-N-I-A. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast and Chad Lorne. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks for the uh, invite. Looking forward to sharing our story today. Well, you know, your brand has a fun ethos. It seems like it's all about fun. And we're going to dive into the story. But first, let's talk about you. Pharmacists turn restaurateurs. What's up with that? I still ask myself that all the time. (laughs) Actually, <laughs> you know, drugs to biscuits just seem like the natural progression. You know, it's all about the dopamine. How did it happen? Like, where did the brainchild come from? You know, you you were both uh, having a long career in pharmacy, and then all of a sudden, somebody came up with this idea: "Hey, let's start a restaurant. It's so exciting!" Like, tell us how it came about. <laughs> Whose vision was it? Where did the idea first come from? And then what happened? Yeah, so Lauren and I are both from Georgia. Uh, from pretty small town and you know the the biscuit reigned supreme there obviously for a a breakfast meal and that always kind of resonated with me and even as a pharmacy intern at the local cvs uh, my pharmacist the pharmacist in charge there had a brother who owned a little biscuit restaurant called biscuit express Uh, (laughs) you know population of you know 600 people and so it was where where all the hunters went before they uh, you know went deer hunting to get the get the carbs for the for that uh, for that day gotcha um but yeah we both the pharmacy school uh i graduated from georgia um go dogs uh in, in 08 and then lauren graduated from a smaller university in savannah georgia that's where we met uh i did my residency in atlanta we moved to louisville in 09 and uh, got the entrepreneurial itch in 2011 when i was on a study abroad trip with four students uh, internationally. I'll let Lauren talk about what concept she went to that kind of started it all. Well, we went to a, some girlfriends and I went to a paint and drink concept and we're literally sitting there, you know, painting. And I'm thinking this painting looks pretty good actually. And I am absolutely not an artist. And so Chad is in Australia and I texted him, this is what we need to do. And we'd spend some time on the phone with other franchisors, just learning about them and trying to understand the economics of different things and looking around our city and trying to figure out what does our city really need right now? So at the time, I think we had dug into a pizza concept and, you know, Louisville's the, I feel like the epicenter of all things pizza. And so we're like, that's not really going to work. But when I went into this, I thought, okay, this is painting, artsy stuff. This is alcohol related. This will kill it in Louisville. So we opened that pretty quickly thereafter. And it was great. I mean, it went over kind of gangbusters. Did you have the name from the beginning or did that come later? I mean, how to tell us about the brand building because your brand is super powerful. You go to your website and everything is cohesive. Your social media we're going to get to is incredible. Everything about the brand is on target, on strategy, on point, and it's fun and it's catchy and it's alive. So tell us about the brainchild for Biscuit Belly. We talked about, you know, the, the Southern charm and the Southern cuisine and the biscuits and all that sort of thing, but 
you know, that's one thing, putting out a great product, but then creating a brand around that product is an entirely different thing. And you've done a particularly great job with that. So let's, let's elaborate, dig a, dig a little yeah. deeper on that. Yeah. And, and to follow up where, where Lauren was, uh, we were selling a lot of wine at this, this concept and that, that then made us think, okay, well, let's open up a wine bar. There wasn't a wine bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we opened up and kind of developed this concept called Luvino. And that was a five unit concept, uh, 60 wines by the glass, small plates, like Papa's style and, uh, started our first one in 2014. We, we often kid that our first time working in the restaurant industry was the night we opened our first one, our first Luvino. And so kind of fast forward, we grew that to five locations, um, and started talking about, uh, doing this biscuit thing kind of as a. A, t- a spinoff uh, slash, you know, tilt of the hat to to where we came from, and and yeah, we we actually for the first time went to a professional group <laughs> and said, hey, we've got this idea, like let help us create this concept, um, both from the the branding, the the name, and we had like fifty names uh, written down, you know, in, my, in in the notes section of my phone, and. Uh, we, we settled on Biscuit Valley uh, with the help of this team and really got into the nitty gritty of what is the feel going to be when people walk in? What's the color scheme going to be? What's the logo look like? And, you know, the, the rest is kind of history from there. And awesome. we just really leaned in into the food and the way it was presented. Uh, we actually have a class when we open up a new store. Um, our director of training actually has like an Instagram ready class. Cause we always say the camera eats first, right? Yes. Pull up the phone, take a picture. And, uh, and so, and you see that within social media and we, we definitely inherited a lot of that into the brand itself. As our audience knows, this is probably one of, if not the most challenging business on the planet. I've been in it multiple times. I've been in a lot of different businesses and I would certainly say that's true. And it sounds to me like you guys opened this concept without any experience yet you grew it to five locations. What were those early challenges? Did you make many mistakes? Were you an overnight success? Did it say, okay, now we're ready for something new? It's like, you know, I call this the business of a thousand details and you got to surround yourself with great people. If you don't know what you're doing, you've got certainly, uh, it sounds to me like you both had business acumen of some sort, but you can't just start a business and then just keep opening concepts that easily without challenges, mistakes, experiments. Were there a lot of those or did it go smoothly and I'm missing something? I'd say that, that the, the first business we did, the painting and drinking uh, place definitely was a great starter business. If, mm-hmm. if there is such a thing, pretty low sure. barrier to entry. You get yep. to learn a little bit about commercial real estate, payroll taxes, accounting, <laughs> you know, HR, all this stuff. And so yeah. wearing we, all the hats. We, yeah. Yeah. We were wearing all that. <laughs> okay, cool. And, and then with Luvino, the, the five unit concept that we built, that was another set of challenges. I mean, I remember about a week before we opened, I said, I will never do this again. And I don't know how in the world anyone ever opens a restaurant with how many just setbacks that we experienced. And we had a great team. We, so to your point, you're asking how, well, we, we always have hired really well. And we had our executive chef and our general manager hired, you know, several months before to start working on 
the concept, the wine menu, the food menu, the hiring. And that really taught us, wow, people are are very important. And we saw that with the previous concept as well, but uh, even more so in a restaurant of which we knew very little about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew how to eat at one and that was about it. And uh, I think Lauren and I both spent our first week or so because it was so busy washing dishes either behind the bar or, you know, in the kitchen. But to your point, I mean, Luvino was very, you know, it was kind of like, what's working now? Like, okay, let's lean into that. Okay, let's grow this. Where I feel like with Biscuit Belly, we've been able to take a step back and really create a vision for it. And then to your point around people, really hiring people and surrounding ourselves with people who actually know what they're doing. So our VP of marketing, I mean, our VP of training, it came from a concept that was that she started at Texas Roadhouse when they had three stores. And so really helped develop that and evolved into a mega training role there. And so just surrounding ourselves with people like that, who've done this before, when we're the smartest people in the room, we are like, this that's, is scary. That's bad. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So they've been around the block and obviously anyone who's been, you know, from the ground floor involved in building national brands, especially at the chain and franchise level, that's been a lot of your, of your success, but you still are driving the bus here and you still have lots of ideas that incorporated into your concept. So let's talk about the vibe and the ambiance. I started off by saying you've got an ethos of fun, but if I'm a new person walking through the door of any biscuit belly for the very first time, tell us about the sights, the sounds, the smells, the feeling I should get that you would want, you know, the guests to get every time they walk through the door, just bring it to life for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from a music standpoint, I think that's where you would notice it. That and the colors are uh-huh. is noticed first. So yep. pretty, I'd say on the loud side, but not crazy loud music, uh, definitely upbeat from a wide genre of, of different music styles, but it's definitely upbeat, fun, energetic to kind of set that tone. And then you're met with a lot of different patterns, colors, uh, so we've, you know, kind of our, our color palette is almost like a mustard yellow, um, teal, blue, and white. And so we have a lot of fun with different textures of tile and uh, different materials to kind of give it a, a fun, eclectic little mix. And then, you know, you make your way down the line. You've got a really cool, fun menu to look at with a lot of different items. Uh, we have like a merch wall with a lot of different things to look at while you're in line. And then, you know, you're you're met hopefully by a smiling cashier. And, uh, you know, they're taking your order. You sit down and then the rest is pretty much full service. Uh, so we run the food out. You know, you grab a number before you sit down. Sure. Yep. Uh, we we cool. run the food out. We bust the tables. We run the drinks. So, you know, we we try to get that full service mentality, but with counter service payment, essentially. Yeah, but it speeds things up because someone isn't sat at a table and then they wait for their, you know, their front of house person, their server, whoever to approach them when they have the time and obviously then go through the whole thing. It's like people are just moving down, ordering a given number that saves a tremendous amount of time, which increases your turns, which is great. Yep. That's that's fantastic. Okay. And one of my other favorite things yeah. to see is after a person has ordered or a group has ordered, if they've never been to Biscabelli, you know, they're looking at our menu and they order and you know, maybe they've spent a little more than they would, you know, at a, a traditional fast food restaurant. 
And then they sit down and then they start seeing our team bringing out food to other tables. And you can kind of see them. A lot of jaw drops. A lot of bigger eyes. And oh, man. Oh, I think that's what I got. Oh, you know, so it's kind of fun to see. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mouthwatering and it creates this sort of intrigue and excitement for what's coming. This is great. I mean, that's all part of your vibe. And I think that's that's tremendous. And it's part of your brand as well. Um, Let's talk about you talked about some of the good people that have been part of um, your success as well. But let's talk about the company culture. How would you describe that? What is the culture of Biscuit Belly? Yeah, it's often something we we obviously talk about a lot. And I, mean, I, I feel like we have a very people-centric culture. And we also give our people, especially you know at the corporate level, a lot of autonomy to, to grow and not not be micromanaged unless you know maybe they have to be sometimes for growth purposes but mm-hmm. you know we, we have we have weekly kind of touch based meetings we use the entrepreneurial operating system EOS so that kind of guides a lot of our processes and and how we do things but uh you know I feel like we're aligned we we're surrounded by a lot of driven individuals and we let them flourish and you know we you know we ask questions and have thoughts about things and that's just part of it right we're not going to let go fully but yes uh i feel like we have a a very fun and supporting culture and i think that's also translated to the franchising piece i mean we're we really have been not out to do a million deals we're really trying to make smart decisions, make sure we're getting into a partnership with somebody who is very like-minded, you know, similar kind of silly, quirky, mischievous, a little of these like grand attributes that we want you to see at the store. I think those are well displayed too with our franchise partners. So those groups who've come in, they continue to challenge us and push us. And I just think overall, it's been a great, a great fit. Yeah, and the franchising piece, we definitely see it as it should be seen as a partnership, not a, you know, not that we're the the Biscabelli police out there trying to enforce everything. And we've gotten a lot lot of really good ideas from them. Uh, We provide what we feel like is really good support system for, especially for our size. Um, We're we're very top heavy right now and on the people and experience side. But in order to get from, you know, we're at nine units now to, hopefully 2025 by the end of next year, like we, we have to have that experience and in order for our franchisees to be successful and to continue, continue to grow as well as be our ambassadors out there in the franchising world, they have to be happy. And, and I would say that they overall are happy, especially with the support and just how good we are to respond and engaging with them. So your people are absolutely foundational to the success of the brand. And obviously, as you start to franchise and as you grow, the only control you really have is, like you said, making smart decisions on the franchisees that you work with. Obviously, they're experienced. A lot of them are multi-unit operators. So they've got that whole piece down, but they still have to follow the guiding principles and philosophies of your brand. And that includes onboarding and training and staffing and all that kind of stuff. Are there guidelines in place as to how, you know, a new team member represents the brand, whether they're here, there, and the 10th location or the second location? You know what I mean? It's like, can we talk about the training and the onboarding process at Biscuit Belly a little bit? 
Oh yeah. Our VP of training has really shaped that. And, you know, when you bring franchise partners on, they care about two things, marketing and training. And that's pretty much it. And so we feel like we have really leveled up with the people that we have in those positions. But I think that has also just been a learning experience for us as we've had people in. We can pretty quickly tell, you know, I don't know if this person's going to be the right fit. Like if they hire a general manager who's coming in for training, we can quickly kind of identify, okay, this is the challenge that we might have, or here's some opportunity that we might have. And then some have even said, hey, can you help us hire a general manager? And so we've been able to really be a part of that process. Um, I think we've been lucky, to your point, about being able to bring on people who are already in the restaurant business. Some of our franchise partners have actually almost specialized in partnering with early stage franchisors. So that's been a huge blessing. It's like they get where we are and it's almost like their expectations are not super high. And so it feels great for us when we blow them out of the water, you know. Uh-huh. But then you know, some people who are coming in, they've done it. They've been in a lot of other concepts and they've done really well. And so sometimes it's challenging to reel that in a little bit and say, okay, you've done it that way for so long, but this is the Biscuit Belly way. And it's a little bit different. It's not going to be the same, but we've learned a lot from them. And I hope that they've you know, gained a lot of trust in us and our process and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, you seem like genuine, authentic people with the right mission and goals in mind, and and you really just want everyone to succeed, and you sound very supportive. What are each year different roles, and is there any overlap between them, or do you kind of stay in your lane? <laughs> do you both deal with the franchisees? I mean, let's talk about separation yeah. of responsibility. Listen, from one restaurateur to another, and I hope you GMs out there listening as well are paying attention. You know, marketing should never be an experiment. Oh, I tried this or I tried that. No, any of your valuable dollars that you spend on marketing should absolutely be trackable. You should know exactly where the business is coming from and that it's driving return on your investment. You spend a certain amount of money, you want to make far more money in return from that marketing if you can track it. So pay attention. My friend Dyson runs a business called The Birthday Club, and his program is done for you because we know that everybody dines out on their birthday. It's a tradition. It's a celebration. But not only do they not come in by themselves, they bring many friends with them. They usually have free spending and large check averages. It's very profitable business. So why leave it to chance? Why let your competitors get all the birthday business? So again, The Birthday Club is a done-for-you program. All you have to do is check out www.jointhebirthdayclub.com slash birthday rockstar. It's a great program. If I still owned and operated restaurants today after decades, it's something I would definitely be doing, but it's worth checking out. So check it out. Jointhebirthdayclub.com slash birthday rockstar. I think we would kill each other if we didn't stay in our lanes. Chad is, so he mentioned that we operate on EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, and mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of this, but he is the quintessential visionary. If you had a poster child for an ideas person, he is it. And he does a great job of leading us and really <laughs> providing that kind of 
inside about here's where we should be looking and looking ahead and let's plan for this. Oh, what's happening in the world or what's happening, you know, in the in the culinary scene that we should be digging into. He's great at that. I am more of the, it's called the integrator, but it's the person who takes his ideas and says, eh, let's pause on that or absolutely not, or there's no capacity for this. Um, it's a lot of kind of reeling in and saying no, but then I also get the pleasure of working with our team to n- help kind of project manage the ideas that he adds into life. All right. That's so. a great answer. Fantastic. She answered a lot better than I would. <laughs> I'm a lot more uh, probably politically correct in my answer. Yes. But I would say, too, once we open, I do a lot of the onboarding with franchise partners. But then once we open, we really are leaning on our VP of operations who also oversees our franchise operations to engage with the franchise partners uh-huh. for operational purposes. But then he is 100% their ear. I mean, they... They text him, they call him, never really about specific operational things. It's more just like, where's your head at with this? What do you think about this? And it's a very collaborative, I would say, process. And I don't really do as much of that. So it's kind of day-to-day, but not nearly in the weeds as what it once was. Because we have people that we can trust to get the job done. We don't need to necessarily. (laughs) They have a lot more experience than us, honestly and let them flourish. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Has the labor challenge been much of an issue for your company? Depending on the city, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think because of our hours, you know, where where can you work in, a, in the restaurant other than a breakfast concept where you get your home on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday at three, four o'clock. And so because of that, we get a lot of, uh, we get a lot of female employees and actually, our entire other than myself, I'm surrounding. I'm surrounded by strong, uh, strong-willed, but very hardworking Taipei. ladies. Uh, so I'm, I'm the only male in the room, and, and that's that's worked out uh, really well. But uh, I think because of our hours, we we attract just a different person, a more um, I don't know, if professional, yeah. uh, you know, family-oriented individual. Uh, so I, I think that just has made it relatively easier. I mean, there's some cities that are definitely sure. harder to, to hire in, but I'd say in the last year or two, it's been a lot better than it than sure. it was, you know, in 2020, 2021. And we're doing a lot better than a, a number of our uh, friends and cohorts in this industry. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, that's an interesting perspective with the day parts you operate in and the, and the person that is attracted to your business, yeah. uh, appears to me to be obviously, um, more reliable and someone that isn't constantly turning over jobs and all that sort of thing. When a lot of this industry, unfortunately, that's high turnover, the business is kind of known for it, but I think you're somewhat insulated from that by virtue of your concept, your brand and your operating philosophy and the time that you're open. So thanks for answering that. Yeah. Is, is there a, would you describe um, your leadership styles individually as people? Like how do you lead people and and how do people perceive how you lead them? That's a good question. I'm really bad at this kind of stuff. <laughs> Personally, as far as answering this and being introspective, but I think I've, I've kind of alluded to it before, but it's, 
it's that constant general pressure, <laughs> I guess, of getting things done. And, and it's also giving autonomy to the people that, that have a lot of experience and knowledge. Uh, and again, I, I think because the way we've structured with EOS, it's, it's allowed me to yeah, be that more visionary and, and how do I grow the business? How, what, what are, what are means and, and ways in which to grow the business and looking for trends and, you know, uh, commodity prices and to, to make the stores more profitable and establish establishing relationships with the franchisees. But um, I'd say empathetic, I'd say giving autonomy. Um, it's definitely not like a dictator role by any means. It's, I don't know. I don't know how, what other words to really use it. That that would be my personal opinion of myself, I guess. But All right. That's fair. How about you? And Brad? I would say that our team would agree with that. I think that my leadership is more, you know, in this role and in, in surrounding ourselves with people who are a lot smarter than us, but being so early stage, we don't necessarily have the admin or what I would call, um, like entry level roles that our leaders can lean on to do some of the actionable items that they need done. And so my leadership style, I think, is more um, cheerleader slash supporter. supporter. So I say it all the time, like, do not do monkey work. If you have monkey work, you know, I can do the typing. I can do the, you know, copy paste, the, the things like that. If you put your vision down, I can help make it happen. So I think that our team would say that I'm supporter, support, <laughs> support the leader, and the glue. <laughs> yeah. A bit Keeps of us all uh, the train on the track. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. As you continue to grow your business, are you able to, well, first, have you been able to find a, a very strong work-life balance? And do you see yourselves able to maintain that as the company grows to 25 units by the end of next year? Yeah, uh, someone was asked a question, uh, the same question uh, a few years back on a panel I was I was on. She said, "Well, there's no such thing as balance; it's juggling, right?" Uh, but we we're very lucky in that we have not. I guess this could be a, a disadvantage or something. I feel like I can work on is being more present in the stores and just showing face and and kind of being that cheerleader. Um. I mean, we're, we have not established ourselves in the stores and the fact that they need us to be there to support them. We're happy. I mean, actually, I think the last three Mother's Days, I'm uh, always working. Lauren, Lauren and I have both been working yeah. um, just to support the restaurants. But we, we are lucky in which a lot of our work is, can be done remotely in a way. Um, so we, we do find balance and, working very hard, but maybe doing it from another venue, right? And kind of getting to enjoy the the fruits of your labor and and um, time away from the business, which I think is also good to let everyone <laughs> take a breather from us uh, in the yeah. office, as well as, uh, you know, into, into hopefully flourish. But uh, yeah, it's, I'd say, honestly, over the last year, it's become easier uh, because of the people we've been able to hire and yeah. we are so top heavy and uh as we do i do have ideas that, that trickles down to actionable items and we have the people that can do it and do it quick and do it right and get it out and it's like oh man 
So, and I, I was at another, another talk of another founder and CEO of a company. And he's like, my whole goal is to become basically like irrelevant, right? Like you want to be there to make big, big boy decisions, I guess, or big girl decisions. Yep. And of course, uh, but it's, it. it's like, let your people do what you hire them to do. But we have to be careful with this. When a visionary has too much time on their hands, <laughs> it's never good. I'm like, go play, get in a pickleball league, <laughs> go do something that you can learn to do, and and maybe stay away from the biscuit ideas for a, a hot minute. <laughs> it's like a kite, and you got to reel them in every once in a while, Lauren. Yes, one hundred percent. Come on, Chad, down to earth. Come on, come on. I don't know. I'm told no. <laughs> So I go to my, I go to my room. Yeah. <laughs> is Mother's Day the biggest day of the year for you? So. Yeah. Yeah. And we have Derby here in the city. So that, that is big for Louisville, um, or basically the week leading up to, and, and kind of the few days after, but yeah, Mother's Day, I would say industry-wide and in, in the brunch world is definitely the biggest sales day of the year. Let's talk about any experiments that you tried that didn't necessarily work out. It seemed great in theory or on paper, and you thought it was a big idea, but it didn't work. Yeah. Anything come to mind? Until recently. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've, we've tried to add some even more full-service ideas that it just, with this store in particular, which is one of our more difficult ones to staff it uh it just didn't work <laughs> so okay. uh you know we almost tried to go to a full service model but not really full service i think it was just causing confusion and actually causing service to be worse um but no i mean i will say that with again going back to the people piece we now have a, a very good system to vet and test and experiment and you know do all of that stuff with a new item or a new product etc whereas maybe before then i would just say oh well, it's the same flour for the biscuit mix or the same you know sausage so it's going to be fine when in fact it it actually made a big change in the the recipe or the flavor profile or whatever. So I feel like uh, the process and, and systems in place now kind of prevent a lot of the mistakes from happening. But um, I wouldn't say we necessarily had a product failure. We we definitely had a more chef-driven gourmet menu in the very beginning, like using really fancy cheeses and house-smoked meats. And it was just very, it was almost too fancy for what it was. Like uh, local, you know, hand-picked mushrooms. mushrooms that were fifteen dollars a pound. Well, it didn't really, it didn't make a, a a difference, and our food cost was terrible. And so, like, hey, if we're going to scale this thing, we've got to think, okay, well, we we still want the quality to be there. But what are some products that we can use? So we had to cut some things uh, off the menu that just didn't make sense to have, you know, these six ingredients just for this one dish. Like, that's that's. That becomes challenging to scale. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up because that's part of. We're going to talk all about your menu, of course, but 
your your portions seem like they're very generous and the food is indulgent and decadent and really over the top, which obviously leads to your branding and your social marketing success. But the key point I want to make is the importance of costing out these dishes and knowing exactly what each one contributes in terms of profitability and also knowing what the volume of sales is, popularity versus profitability and the spread between all those things. And there's so many operators out there that aren't zeroing in on that important piece because because with inflation and the highest labor costs we've ever had to pay in this business, those are variables beyond our control. But what we can control is the profitability of that menu. And I know in your case, eggs went absolutely crazy, yeah. right? And did yeah. that level off? Are you still having any issues there? Uh, yes. So in 2022, breakfast and brunch restaurants experienced the highest amount of inflation versus any other any of you know sub segment of the restaurant industry so is it about at 30 percent all in um yes eggs have come back down to earth uh they're close to what they were kind of pre-pandemic give or take yeah uh, chicken is back down to earth it and we're pretty chicken focused mm -hmm. on our uh proteins um and i've really just i've I found a couple of key suppliers that we've just said, Hey, here's our growth uh, plan. And here's where we're going to be at the end of next year. And you start telling the story and they really, they seem interested <laughs> maybe they're interested in any business, but they're especially interested in growing brands that they can partner with early on and provide us really good deals on bacon or sausage or, or whatever. And so we, we have a couple of those partnerships now. And to to bring our cost of goods even lower, um, mm -hmm. still using really good products. It's just good we're, we're getting volume deals and discounts on those. Um, but yeah, we have been very lucky this year where our cost of goods are more in line to what they were kind of pre-pandemic. Now, granted, our prices have increased, uh, but though we haven't taken, I mean, I know some concepts are taking multiple price increases a year. I think. We've taken since 2020, we've taken maybe three, uh, like one big one and two small ones. Um, so I feel we've actually probably increased our prices less, much less from a percentage wise as many other concepts. People think, still think we're a little expensive uh, because they just, they compare brunch to what you used to get at like you know, Denny's or what you can cook it for at home. Sure. I mean, Normally, fairly cheap products, but mm -hmm. again, when you're doing big, bigger portions and right, usually they feed their plate and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it depends. depends yeah, I think um, I would, I would assume, um, and I think you'd bear this out that there's high perceived value and what I call wow factor. Like I'm looking at the wow factor behind your, behind your head, Chad. And <laughs> whenever you put a plate, well, you said it best as well earlier. It's like when food goes through the dining room, people just start saying, Oh my God. It's like, you yeah. know, they're salivating before their food even gets to the table. So it's a combination of the presentation, the portion, um, what it is, the, you know, the sights of it and the smells of it. It's like, there's value there, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you eat it and then it's like, it's decadent and delicious and amazing. And people say, wow, this is something. And and now you're not just serving them brunch or breakfast. It's an event. 
And I mm-hmm. think that yep. you can charge more for that as opposed to a Denny's where they're just putting, you know, eggs and bacon on a plate. And I'm not slamming Denny's by any means, but I'm yeah. saying your concept goes beyond that in terms of the delivery and the wow factor and the chef crafted foods and just the, you know, just the eyes, the eye factor of, mm-hmm. I'm sure that, you know, people are just pulling out their phones or taking the pictures. It's going to social media and there's so much power to that. So I definitely want to dive into the social media success you're having. Did that happen organically or, or naturally, or did, was there a plan for that? You have a chief marketing officer that says, we're going to have a huge social media push and this is how we're going to do it. It's like, did you have input into that? Do you have influencers versus you're doing it all in-house? That's a lot to unpack, but tell us the whole story about your marketing. Yeah, I, I think there's no better advocate out there than a consumer and, and friends that you see are posting on social media, all the, the products that they're getting, whether it's clothes, food, et cetera. And so we we have intentionally done other things, such as the way we plate food, the plates we use. We, we actually have custom plates, which... That's um, not even. That's not yeah. one, but we've okay. got plates that are even more yeah. eye-catching mm-hmm. and fun. And so, you know, branded uh, liners in our little baskets. And so we've been very intentional about, I guess, the touch points that have just not necessarily for social media, but just for the overall experience. You know, we use kind of these cool campfire mugs with with our logo. And I like those. I saw those on the website. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, our little biscuit man on on the other side. So uh-huh. uh, I feel like the whole presentation, it, it wasn't necessarily, we didn't do these things for social media, but we just did it because it looks better. And therefore, you know, is I guess the, the side effect of that <laughs> in a good way is people take pictures. And oh, yeah. So. Well, and I mean, he's discounting this, but when we first opened Biscuit Belly, we did still own the other concept, the wine and dinner concept. And we had a marketing person for that concept. And we just asked her to spend four to five hours a week doing basic Instagram for Biscuit Belly. And so her, her primary source of content was through customers. So she shared and you know, would ask permission to post their customer content all day long. And so that was, that was the key, I think. And then once we actually got to a point where we, we thought it made sense to bring on a director of marketing, it was amazing that she could jump into our brand and kind of seamlessly understand the voice and understand what we were trying to put out to the world and then just leveled it up so much. So uh, I think she's continued to grow and has definitely done a good job of bringing our brand along while also maintaining that central, you know, brand voice that we wanted from the get go. Yeah. I was on your Instagram page earlier today, checking out a lot of these, you know, like live in store, you know, they're putting the food down, but like Chad said, there's a music component to it. So the music and then the voiceover and and just it's bringing the food and the experience to life. And I think that's particularly effective. So you guys are doing a really good job there and kudos to, to the person behind it as well. Besides, you know, the vision of the marketing, I think that's very, very strong. You know, there's also a, a really strong sort of 
branding piece with the names, the interesting, catchy names for the items themselves, which I, I used to do that in all my restaurants too. And I think that's so important to do, but you know, it just captures your imagination before you even order something. And that leads to people ordering certain things I'll bet. And yeah, like, uh, have you named any of the dishes yourself? Or the yeah, did you really? I'll, That's great. I'll tell anyone that Chat GPT uh, named a, named a couple as well. But, uh, <laughs> awesome. Recently, recently awesome. yeah, we kind of had some fun with that. But yeah, yeah. So you can kind of see a little bit of the people behind it, as well as mm-hmm. a little bit of our history and where like Lorna and I are from. Uh, but so our number one seller is the Rockwell. And so that's just named after the last name of our chef that helped create the menu, mm-hmm. uh, Tavis Rockwell. Yeah. And so and then we have the Rockwell Supreme, which is just like a more bougie, you know, uh, version of that. Uh, Lauren and I, again, both from the Athens area. So B-52 started there. So you have the Love Shack. So that's I the- saw them in concert back in Los oh, Angeles cool. in yeah. 1991, but <laughs> okay. gotta love that. Cool. Yeah. yeah so, and, and then... Love you know, shows. we just <laughs> we just have uh, yeah, fun, fun, really, with with a lot of the others, and I don't know. There's not really a science behind it. I mean, sometimes it is very hard to figure out. Yeah, what the hell are your names? Well, and I mean, just recently, the last two weeks, we've had this struggle of, you know, if you name it something random, <clears throat> people will actually read what's in it. So we were trying, we are currently, we just rolled out our spin on chicken and waffles, but we're not making waffles. It's on our version of a French toast. So it's an old biscuit that we've not old, a day old biscuit that we've you know, dipped in batter and French toast styled it. Cool. And yep. with whatever we had it named at the test store, it, it indicated in the name that it would be chicken and waffles. And then we didn't do a good job in the description saying there is no waffle here. So guess what our biggest complaint was? There is no waffle here. And so we changed the name to chicken ditch the waffle. And oh, I love it. That's great. Kind of added some verbiage to very ditch clearly articulate. Yeah. So the thing that I learned from that was mm-hmm. if you were naming something similar to, you know, a broad name, but you change it at all, or it's not a stereotypical, you know, meeting expectations, you're going to have pushback. So you're almost better off to, to call it like we use Mike's hot, hot honey on it. And we were calling it, we wanted to call it drop the mic was one of the options because nobody knows what that is. So then read it and you mm-hmm. get it, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, naming is, is fun, but it yeah. can also be challenging. Well, it's definitely a worthwhile practice because, again, it's creating a point of differentiation. It's a competitive advantage, and it's probably a big part of why people come back. It just adds to the fun factor. And then people, of course, have their favorite items, but you you have plenty of items to choose from, so you almost want to try everything before you even (laughs) settle on a favorite, you know? You mentioned earlier about... um, you know, perhaps new menu items. How often do you roll out something new and how do you test those things before you actually roll them out? Yeah, we just did a pretty big menu overhaul. Uh, We were trying to get a little bit more of the weekday consumer that is maybe looking for things relatively health conscious, as well as I'm looking to increase our lunch day part. 
So we just introduced uh, a build your own breakfast bowl. So you kind of choose a base of either like home fries or cheesy grits. And then there's a kind of a vegetable medley for lack of a better term of, of spinach, tomatoes, onions, etc. You pick a protein and you kind of build this own, your own little breakfast bowl. And so it's mm-hmm. just a little bit lighter. It's not as heavy as eating a huge biscuit sandwich. We introduced three different omelets um, that are all named in a, in a kind of fun way as well. Uh-huh. And, and nice. a couple different uh, versions of pancakes, uh, avocado toast, the chicken, chicken ditch the waffle uh, thing that, that Lauren discussed, and then three new sandwiches. So we just added a, a bunch and, and also just really cross-utilized some yeah. items. Thank you uh, for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not bringing on, I think we're bringing on three or four more SKUs for, for the, all of those items. Um, just we're able to use a lot of what we're currently using, you know, in house. And so uh, we did a lot of testing and that was actually, you know, we talk about, okay, what happens behind the scenes? Like I was pushing for it. Like, no, we need this like tomorrow, not really tomorrow, but you know, we need this okay, I'll give you a month to work this out. And then it turns into be three or four months because so much. we go back to the drawing board because X, Y, or Z operationally didn't work or our turkey's too spicy or, you know, whatever. And then we have to go and roll it out at all the franchise locations. And so it just takes time. Uh, and so it was probably a three-month process, give or take, uh, of, of deciding okay, well, here's the, here's generally what we want to do. We actually had a consultant chef come in as well and, and help create some of the the menu items and give us some additional ideas and, and just kind of leveled them up a little bit more. But, and we're, we're doing the same thing with catering now. We're like, yeah. we are missing, missing the boat on catering. And so we are doing uh, a lot of kind of we're calling them wake and bakes. Which I'll, I'll uh, definitely give credit to our market partner, Virginia, for that. But they're basically almost casseroles or frittatas that we we bake and then are picked up or delivered on the catering side. And so just, again, those lighter options that you can kind of have every day. Not everybody wants a big biscuit sandwich. And they've been selling, I'd say, beyond our expectations probably yeah. um, at this point. Well, and I think this is where franchising has really challenged us. And franchise partners in Alabama are saying, why don't we have grits? You people are crazy. We do not have grits. And then, you know, looking at things like to us here, we have a, uh, the hot brown is big. And so our menu has a hot brown or throw to it. And nobody cares about that, where they're from. And so I think looking at the full mix, doing menu optimization you know, cutting out some of the items that really didn't make sense and then figuring out how we can cross utilize to get in that lunch customer was really the goal with all of that. And I think we did a really good job. <laughs> I mean, all, it did all happen really quick. We yeah. got all the professionally made recipes and, and uh, you know, the, the cards, we call them biscuit buddies, the cards that the training materials. Yeah. The, the kitchen guys were using to their build the cards essentially. And so, I mean, we, it was kind of pedal to the metal to, to get it done. Yeah. It's still slower than I would have ever liked, but it's, it, it's still, it was fine. 
You also have a pretty robust beverage program that includes yeah. alcohol, but you've got lots of different specialty coffees and cappuccinos and mochas and all kinds of really appealing things. And you talked about the cool campfire mugs, which is also part of the branding. But now, obviously, Louisville and Kentucky in, in general is known for bourbon. So you've got bourbon drinks, but you also have tequila sunrises. It's like you've got a really great beverage program. Um what I'm getting at is, interestingly, a while back, I interviewed another concept very similar to yours, only in the fact that they do breakfast, lunch, and brunch, but they made a conscious decision not to do alcohol because they thought that it would slow down table service and table turns because people are going to linger over a drink versus get them in and get them out kind of thing. But are you finding that that's not a problem and it definitely is an additional profit center that also lends to branding? So that was one of my, not, not the the single alcohol drink. That's never been a concern of ours. Cause again, it's, I think we'd be missing the mark if we weren't doing that and mm -hmm. even deterring people from coming. So I'd rather have the person that's sitting there a little bit longer and have, you know, 10% more people come in and a line out the door that makes you look popular than, than not offering it at all. But mm -hmm. My, you know, we talked a lot in the very beginning about doing pictures of, of mimosas and I was like, uh, I just don't want, again, we, we have 30 seats, maybe 30 tables, I should say. Yes. And 30 tables. Like, I don't want, uh, 10 of these staying here for three hours and just gossiping on, you know, God knows what. So, uh, so, but kind of fast forward to about, I don't know, six months ago, we actually introduced Jumbo uh mimosas and a, and a jumbo tequila sunrise uh -huh. uh, and they've i'd say 40 to 50 percent of people are upgrading and i, I don't awesome. feel like it's really i mean because you gotta think about it. once you sit down you've got 10 minutes 12 minutes maybe even a little bit longer during the height of the, the weekend peak uh sitting there anyway so you're probably yeah. done with half of it um and then it just because it's hard to get back in line and get another one and so that's decreasing the revenue in a way right so right well this was a, a perfect balance of offering a slightly larger one and we haven't really i mean it's hard to, it's hard to really put a data point on that but it hasn't like slowed down anything from yeah. our knowledge so let me ask you when when people walk in and and we talked about them placing the order at the line kind of thing and then going through the cashier do they get their drink immediately so that they can take it back to the table while they're waiting for the food which obviously keeps the service flowing uh if it's like a soda or tea or drip coffee we'll give them the glass vessel to go get it you know okay. sure, sure, bar. Sure. Yep. and then uh yeah, lattes bar drinks i mean they're they're made within a few minutes and we mm -hmm. we take those to the table sometimes they're done before the people sit down so many states obviously when the pandemic shifted allowed you know restaurants to serve alcohol out the door yeah. in like a sealed container that sort of thing and i don't know if georgia is one of them or if you've been able to do that and then those states have continued the practice even though the pandemic for all intents and purposes is over yeah. where, where does the state or, or where you operate in um you know stand on that issue and are you able to do it yeah i don't know every state's law as far as all the, the five or six uh, states that we're in now but uh, i know in kentucky they they still allow it so mm -hmm. uh, that's right yeah that's where we're based and our, our kind of corporate locations are so sure sure, sure. We're, we're good there but i i don't, don't think it's nearly as popular as a you know as it was yeah. you know during covid people are 
are kind of getting it themselves or, or maybe just not doing it all together, but okay. really dropped off. Good How about um, loyalty programs? Mm-hmm. Tell us. How does it work and is it really effective and are you tracking it? Yeah, we have a great loyalty program that has been in the works for a couple of years. We had a pretty basic one when we started, mm-hmm. you know, you're earning points, but now we again brought in people who have done this for other brands, kind of got their input and they really helped us help define what our customer wants at these different levels. Um, and then the best thing about it, like every brand, is that we are able to learn things about our customer and learn what influences them and then help guide potential marketing uh, strategies or even LTOs you know, to that customer. It allows us to speak to them directly. So mm-hmm. I think that's important and kind of cater, you know, I don't go to Starbucks. So on the occasion that I go, I get a bajillion stars, but my sister who goes every other day, you know, she doesn't get as many stars. So we're, we can talk to the customer and incent them in ways that you know are unique to them. And I think that's the most important thing as on the restaurant side, like, you know, segmenting those folks and speaking their language, you know, meeting the customer where they are. Okay. Great. Great answer. How about technology at what um, how would you consider your company to be in terms of um, your tech stack and how savvy you are and how much technology is playing a part in your business? Yeah, so we we had, we we named 2023 as no new systems year mm-hmm. uh, because I felt like we had all these systems that we weren't really utilizing. You know, everyone was charging $99 per location per month. Yeah. It's just we were kind of $99 out, you know, per location per month. So we have just kind of pressed pause because technology is great, but you got to have someone to make sure the integration is working mm-hmm. and use the data that you're getting from it. And unless you have that person, you're typically just paying and you're not, and you're not using it. You're just mm-hmm. paying this fee to have this product that sounds good on a sales pitch, but may not be as great in, in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel we have again, talking to other brands that are much bigger, more established than us, we have everything they do plus more, but we aren't, you know, teched out, so to speak, where we have too much that we don't know what to do with it. Um, I think the pieces that we use the most, obviously we have Toast POS and the KDS screens uh, in the store. We've got our loyalty program. We've got, um, you know, a typical IVR or kind of, it's more like a smart, text-based IVR phone system. Uh, we we actually went against our rule and we signed on with Ovation for feedback uh, this year, actually just a few weeks ago. And that's mm-hmm. been pretty insightful thus far. And we're already making decisions based on that. Good to know. Yeah. Um, Restaurant 365, we have all of our accounting, inventory, scheduling through that. Um, obviously, several things through the marketing piece. Uh, that we that we use to help automate that. I guess you know, from a service slash tech standpoint, we've got uh, a printer that we uh, like an outsourced printing facility that we use to help just basically get menus and other things to our franchisees, um, you know, pretty effectively and efficiently. So I don't know if I'm missing anything. No, 
Microsoft Teams. Still a lot. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well. Um, and then our uh, learning management system and yeah. kind of our intranet. Uh, it's a world manager. I think they were just purchased by Fran Connect. So I don't know. I feel like we're, we've got a lot to, we've got plenty to keep us busy on the yeah. front, but we don't have a lot of just junk that we don't need either that's not getting used. Great. Well, you guys have talked about every aspect of your business and you've really given us a lot of insights. Um, best practices definitely came clear. The marketing piece is point and delivering value to the guest for sure. And just having a ton of fun. So you're doing wonderful things for the industry and it's been great having you as a guest. Yeah, Thank thanks. you. We never do things together. So this is kind of a yeah, right. Right. <laughs> well, like podcast. I was like, see you 24 hours a day. I know. No. <laughs> it's lovely though. We do that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Thank you to our sponsors. Stay well, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Chad and Lauren, what a fantastic episode. You shared so much about your approach to the business, your journey in the restaurant space, and the ethos of running and creating a fun and very strong brand. We covered so much about your brand building, and it certainly is the magic formula of successful restaurants. So thanks for sharing. Thanks so much to our audience for continuing to support and follow us, and we can't wait to see you in the next episode. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons, for fun, celebration, for family, for lifestyle. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's hard to find great staff. Costs are rising and profits are disappearing. It's a treacherous road and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants that I've now sold for millions of dollars. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. I created a game-changing system, and it's filled with everything I've learned in over 20 years running super profitable, super fun restaurants. Everything from creating high-profit menu items and cost controls, to staff training where your teams serve and sell, to marketing hooks, money-maximizing tips, and efficiencies across your operation. What does this mean to you? More money to invest in your restaurant to hire a management team, time freedom, and peace of mind. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.